Hi everyone and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for February 26, 2019. What an incredibly busy 10 days it's been in the world of curling. This week we discussed the 2019 Scotties with the winning skip Chelsea Carey and another skip who made quite the impression in her first trip to the Scotties, Sarah Work of BC. We chat with world junior champ Tyler Tardy fresh off his big win in Liverpool, Nova Scotia. We catch up with Kristen Streifel who's headed to Russia to represent Canada at the Winter Universiad and if all that was not enough... We also welcome the winning skips from the recent U.S. Nationals, Jamie Sinclair and John Schuster. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams at the World Championships and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedi's, whose in-ice graphics from Easy and Textile logos to the world-famous Jedi's Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and Textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable Full Houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. Arnold Ashton's passion for curling, along with his natural propensity to explore new ways to better the game, led him to a whole new world of product design. As a result, all Ashton Curling Supplies products are designed with the curler in mind. Ashton's patented ultralight RDS technology makes it possible to change and customize their slider with any combination of sliding discs. With equal resistance on all sides, the circular design that guarantees a straight slide. These circles have also been designed larger and with stabilizing bars from the outer unit sole to produce the most stable straight sliding shoe the world has ever seen. Go to www.ashim.com for brooms, apparel, and revolutionary designed footwear. And if you're considering buying new curling shoes, you must consider the rotator sole. It's the sole of the future. From the Hacks Recap of this week's curling action is brought to you by The Curling Zone, your premier source for curling results from around the world. Visit us at www.curlingzone.com. The event most Canadian curling fans were focused on last week was a 2019 Scotties in Sydney, Nova Scotia. It was an interesting week where we witnessed Nunavut win their first ever game in the main draw at the Scotties. We witnessed Sarah Work of BC become this year's media darling due to her strong play and great interviews. We witnessed Team Burt of PEI shoot the lights out while breaking Scotty's records for most points in the game by one team and most points combined by two teams in the game against New Brunswick. We witnessed the transformation of Robin Silvernagel from a nervous Scotty's first-timer to a rock-solid member of a team that reached a 1-vs-2 game. We witnessed a strong Manitoba team fail to make the playoffs and we also witnessed the reigning Canadian and world champions Team Jones fail to qualify for the playoffs at the Scotties for the first time in 14 career appearances. We witnessed Team Holman play well all week, qualify for the final and take a 5-1 lead in that final and then we witnessed a comeback for the ages that will be talked about for a very long time. Our first guest this week is a skip of the team that made that comeback in the final to win her second Scotties title, Chelsea Carey. Chelsea, you've had a couple of days uh, to let it sink in now. How does it feel to be a two-time Scotties champion? I still don't think it's really sunk in. It was uh, as crazy for us, or if not crazier, than it was for everybody else. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it feels awesome, but I'm not sure I've fully realized it yet. Before looking back at the final, I want to take you back to what I thought was a very important game for your team, and that was the Saskatchewan game in the championship round when you won 10-3 to over Team Silvernagel after losing your first two games of the championship round. How important was that game for your team? Well, we had to win. I mean, so it wasn't the end of the world that we lost those two games because we went 7-0, and so we were still in an okay spot, but we knew we had to turn that around and get a bounce back win in there to have a decent chance. I mean, you don't want to get to three and four losses too early. So uh, yeah, we had to turn it around and luckily we came out and we're kind of back to our normal selves in the game against Saskatchewan and pulled off the win. You didn't seem to have your best stuff in the one, two game against Saskatchewan once again, but your team stepped up and gave you chances to make a few key shots that turned the game in your favor. How important was it to have your team play so well in a game where you didn't seem to have your best stuff? You know, the team played great. I, uh, struggled with draws, but I, I mean, luckily for me, the the three or four shots that I made were really, really big ones, and and so that was enough to turn it around. But that was set up by my team's excellent play. To your point, you raise an important point. I mean, you can shoot a low percentage in the game, but if the four or five shots you do make are the important ones, your team still has a great chance of winning. The right shot at the right time as a skip is is big. I mean, you can play ninety and lose because you missed the wrong shot at the wrong time, or you can play sixty five and win, like that case when. You know, I, it wasn't my best game, but luckily the shot, the few shots that I did manage to make were the right ones. Over the first four ends of the final, you fell behind 5-1 to one and your opponents weren't missing many shots. Was there a part of you at that point that felt like you may have dug too deep of a hole to get out of? Or did you feel like you still had a chance at that point? Uh, oh no, like you don't think you're coming back down 5-1 to anybody, let alone one of the best front-running teams in the history of the game. So... Certainly at that point, we were thinking it wasn't looking likely that we were going to win. They they hadn't missed anything, like you said, and, and we were just a little bit off with the precision. The ice was a little bit different, and, and you know that's where the advantage of playing in the semifinal comes in, and we didn't have that, and they did. So that was looking like it was really going to benefit them, and then we kind of got the ice figured out a little better in the second half. The first half, we thought the throws were close and the weights were close to what we wanted. We just weren't able to get the results because we couldn't quite get this spot in the ice figured out. But in the second half, we started to get it figured out, and we got some more precise rock placement going and put a little bit of pressure on them in the first half. They didn't miss anything, but we didn't make them throw very much. That was hard either because of, we were just a little bit off with that precision. So put some pressure on them in the back half and, and we kind of went, okay, well, all we can do is make some shots and we have to hope for some misses or else we're not going to win this game. And uh, so we just kept lobbing them in there and hoping for the best and you steal one and you steal one, you kind of go, okay, like, you know, there's a chance now because we got sort of within striking distance, but then you still don't think that one down coming home without um, that it's going to end up being a win again against a team that has proven how good they are in those situations. So still a surprise, but we just, we just hung in there. Everybody stayed really positive and really supportive. And luckily enough, we got some breaks, some uncharacteristic misses out of her. Was there a moment in the second half of the game at Chelsea where you started to feel the momentum shifting a little bit? You could feel the momentum shift a bit once we stole a couple of points, yeah. But you still, like, I still don't know that we ever, you know, fully expected to win. But, yeah, you could see the frustration in them a bit when they gave us a couple steals and, and we were feeling good. And there was no – it's easy for us because there's no pressure. It's theirs to lose at that point because of the scoreboard the way it was. So uh, easier for us to stay loose than it was for them in that situation, and it paid off. When Rachel was setting up to throw her last rock in the 10th in, were you getting ready for handshakes at that point? Or did you think that you had left her a tough enough shot that she might just miss it? Well, you don't ever think she's going to miss a draw to the forefoot, but we did everything we could do as far as sitting to and making her face the loss. And, you know, that spot was a nice spot on the ice. It was really, really fast. So I liked her chances of making it. Um, but it was, uh, well, and then halfway down, I thought we were stealing two and winning. And then at the end, we almost, like we were, we were, 
two inches away from winning and an inch away from losing uh, all in one shot. So that was a bit of a roller coaster. But I mean, we were the extra end was was sort of what we were playing for, and and so we were obviously happy to see it stop just short. And they did everything they could. I think they swept it right out of her hand. But uh, but yeah, and then in the extra end, we wanted that intern draw that she threw was the slowest pass on the sheet by a lot. And so that was we played the whole end trying to give her that draw because I knew I wouldn't have wanted to throw that draw to win. And so that's what we talked about at the start of the end. And Again, we put some rocks in some pretty precise spots. I don't think we could have taken my last rock and walked it down to a more perfect spot than where it ended up. But she's still got the whole forefoot to draw to. So you still don't think you're going to win. But all we could do was make her throw in the path that was the worst on the sheet. And we did that. And, and luckily enough, it worked out. How far down the sheet had Rachel's last rock in the 11th and travel before you started thinking she might be short? It, it looked light to me, but I still thought they were going to get it there. I mean, that's one of the best sweeping combinations in the world, right? So I still always thought it was going to get there. And then I got a hog to hog time and I looked at my watch and I thought that in this path, I don't think that's enough weight. And then my, I didn't until it fully stopped. I wasn't uh, prepared to start celebrating anything because you don't believe it until, you know, it's, it's absolutely over and done with. But uh, yeah, at the, at the hog line, I thought they probably weren't going to be able to get it there. This is your second career, Scotty's title, but a first for your three teammates. Uh, how good did it feel to help them win their first, especially Dana and Rochelle, who had gotten so close on a couple of occasions while playing with Val Sweeting? Actually, Sarah and I both said after that we wanted it more for Dana and Rochelle than we did for ourselves, just because, exactly to your point, they've been so close. Like They've never gone to the Scotties and not made the final. So then to lose all three finals was just would have just been horrible. And halfway through the course, that's what we were thinking was going to happen. And I was like, oh, like I just really was hoping that we finally got a different ending for them with these finals. Because it's remarkable, really, to go to three Scotties and be in three finals. Um, but losing them all would be pretty terrible. So we wanted it. Yeah, we both said we wanted it actually more for Rochelle and Dana than we did for ourselves. So it was really cool to watch them finally get to experience that. So who do you think had the better broom toss, Rochelle at the end of the game on Sunday or Ben Hebert at the end of the men's trials final last season? I, I, if I didn't see Rochelle's broom there on the ice, I would have sworn to you it was in the rafters. It was up somewhere near the Jumbotron, so I certainly think she wins the battle for height. And finally, Chelsea, I've heard several people talking about how you may have unfinished business at the Worlds after failing to reach the podium in 2016. However, having spoken to you a few times about that 2016 Worlds, it seems that the main thing when you look back at that event is that you got caught up in the pressure of being there and representing Canada and all of the stuff that comes with that and never really took time to experience being at the Worlds and enjoying it. Is it fair to say that one of your objectives heading into Denmark will be to allow yourself to enjoy the moment and the experience a bit more than you did in 2016 and hopefully for you and your team that brings you more success yeah that's exactly what I'm going to try to do I just want to I mean wearing the Maple Leaf is such an incredible experience and honor and it's so humbling and it's so amazing and and I just don't think I let myself enjoy it as much as I should have last time because I was so worried about the results and and you know the the expectations from an entire country of, of people watching us and that's not the way to go into it. So I think I am going to try. I mean, it's easier said than done, but I am hoping that I can just relax a little bit more this time and enjoy the experience more. And hopefully that also translates into some results. But regardless, no one can take away the fact that we earned the right to wear this maple leaf. And so enjoy wearing it versus, you know, feeling that uh, that expectations and those pressure taking the joy away from the experience that is as incredible as wearing a maple leaf. 
We also invited Sarah Work of Team BC this week to discuss her first ever Scotties experience. Sarah was one of the revelations at this year's Scotties, not only because she led her team to the championship round, but because of her engaging nature in the media scrums. Sarah, when we spoke prior to the Scotties, you told me that you were hoping uh, your team would do well in Sydney, but also that you would try to soak in every month of your first Scotties experience. So, you're about three days removed from that experience now. Tell me, how was it playing in your first Scotties? Yeah, it, it, it was uh, it was an experience from start to finish that I just couldn't have prepared myself for. Like, just, just beyond the curling, there were so many other little things that we got to do, and we got to see that that really... Um, made the week something really special. Getting that jewelry on the on the first night was pretty overwhelming. It was very 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 cool. Um, just to be in a room with all those people that you watch on TV all the time and and uh, you're part of that same event is is really cool. It's really validating. Then to walk out into that arena um, the first day with the the opening ceremonies and just to know that my mom and dad were in the crowd and I could wave at them. It was just it was surreal for sure. When we finally did get to start playing, it sort of just transitioned into something where I felt like we did belong to be there. Um, it sort of validates your curling career a little bit, something that you worked so hard for, um, and and you've, you've um, made your goals known to other people for so long, and, and they're like, yeah, okay, like next year, next year, and, and just to finally make it and to be there and to be playing with those teams uh, really validates what you've been doing for, for a really long time. And I think we really, we really showed up for a lot of those games too. We weren't really sure going in how we were going to match up against those teams. Of course, we haven't played them um, before. We've seen them on TV, but it's just not just not the same. You just don't get to take in the skills and everything like that. So being able to go toe-to-toe with some of those big teams, I think, means a lot for, for our team, and it, it's really going to help us push next year to be better. So, luck of the draw, you end up playing the home team from Nova Scotia in your first game. How many deep rests did you have to take at the start of that game, and how long did it take you to settle in? Yeah, it took it took a little while because everything before the games was so long. You get there so early, you practice so early, then you have to leave and you get piped back in. There was so much emotions that happened before that game even started. It was it was just crazy. Um, and then it did it did take a while to settle in to the game, and I think as soon as we got down a few points is when I settled in because it's sort of like you're like okay i have I've got a job to do here, and then you sort of have to focus on that um and uh we were pretty fortunate in that last end um we sort of forced shots that we knew were tricky on that ice um and and played to the wing and and we ended up getting four in ten to win, which was um, which was huge, and I think it really started that ball rolling for us for that week. When did you start believing that you could compete with the teams at the Scotties? Was it after that first game, or did it take a little while longer? Uh, yeah, it definitely was not after that game. <laughs> I uh, I did struggle a bit that game too, and and we were trying to learn the ice, and um, the ice that day was a little bit different. There was a lot of rain outside. Um, so there was a lot of humidity, so the ice got a little slow early in the game, um, and and the ice was incredible all week. And, and you can, I can I can say all the good things that I possibly can about the ice makers. That wasn't them at all. It was just sort of the the natural things that were happening outside and around us. So 
we never got into that groove. I never thought that I really found draw weight. Um, but then the second game was against Manitoba. And we came out strong, and we had a really good game. I found draw weight right away, which is important. Um, and then we ended up winning that game against Manitoba in the last end. And, and after that, I said, okay, this is, like, we can, we can compete here. You became one of the more quotable players during the media scrums at the Scotties. There was one comment in particular about the hamsters in your head that got a lot of attention. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that, that, that part of the event I thought was super funny um, because I always seem to have, um, like, little tickets to go see some media person after a game, and sometimes it would be after a loss, and I was like, what is going on here? And, and I, I felt pretty comfortable in that environment because it wasn't very aggressive. You went back there and you, like, casually talked to some people that knew a lot about curling already, um, so I thought it was really fun. The hamster comment, uh, Al Cameron thought that one was, was pretty funny. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's true, though. Sometimes you get so many games in and you see so many shots, and then you're trying to go to bed at night, and you replay all of them constantly. And, and I've always um, heard other people and myself refer to it as, you know, the hamster on the hamster wheel in there that just won't stop. But I thought it was very funny that it did get so much attention. <laughs> When your team reached the championship round, were you in just happy to be here mode at that point and looking to enjoy the experience? Or was there a part of you that was thinking, man, if we win a game or two here, we could actually make the playoffs? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. I think one of the big things that we wanted to focus on going into that championship round was to really take in as much as we could and learn as much as we could from the other teams. Um, a lot of those teams, most of them have been there before and, and done this before and um, it's just it's skills that we want to have that we want to be able to build on um, we did absolutely talk though we said that we were very close to winning a lot of big games we came close with Alberta and, and close with Northern Ontario and we did talk about hey you guys if we can if we can pull out a couple wins here all, all the better, you know. It, it wasn't one of those things where we put, we're putting the pressure on ourselves to get those wins, um, but we did know as a team that we were good enough to compete at that point. Um, so we did go out there every game wanting to put on our best show. And finally, Sarah, tell me about the experience of playing Jennifer Jones in that championship round. Now, I realize that by then, both teams had been eliminated from playoff contention, but it must have been a fun experience to share the ice for the first time with a player you'd watched so many times on TV over the years. Yeah, it was super enjoyable, actually. I didn't really know what to expect going out there to play against them um, and, and what exactly was going to happen on the ice, but... Um, I think it was after the after the second end, um, I got to kind of joke around with Jen a little bit, and it was just I was I was just living in that moment. It was a little bit surreal that I was just um, hanging out on the ice with them, and the game was super relaxed and it was super fun, and they were just absolutely lovely to play against. There was another huge curling event happening in Nova Scotia last week as the World Juniors were taking place in Liverpool. In the women's event, Team Rumensheva of Russia defeated Selena Sturmey and her team from Alberta by a score of 8-7 to in the final, while Switzerland defeated China 6-4 to in the bronze medal game. In the men's event, Tyler Tardy of Canada won his second consecutive World Junior title, defeating Team Hosley of Switzerland 9-4 to in the final, while Scotland defeated Norway in the bronze medal game. Tyler Tardy became only the third Canadian skip to win two consecutive junior titles, joining Charlie Thomas and John Morris.
Tyler Tardy joined from the hack to discuss his second World Junior title. Tyler, a day or so ago you won the World Juniors in Liverpool, Nova Scotia. How does it feel to have repeated as World Junior Champion? Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. The fact that we won it the first year. Last year was a dream come true. We've always looked up to the likes of like Brennan Botcher and uh, all, all the other past winners. And to join that list the first time was incredible. And the fact that we uh, got to join a pretty exclusive list with John Morris and Charlie Thomas, it's an unbelievable feeling and we couldn't be happier. I realize that there's more pressure on you when you're wearing a Maple Leaf on your back at any curling championship, but I was wondering if you might have felt more pressure this year because you were the defending World Junior Champions. Yeah, it's, it's always a lingering thought that you've won in the past, but um, we're, we're big on the process and just kind of avoiding as much distraction as we can, just taking it one step at a time. But um, yeah, that and the fact that we were in Canada kind of put a bit more weight on us as well. We know there's quite a few teams gunning for us a little more than usual wanting to beat us in our home country so yeah but other than that it was uh we're just trying to focus on the process to avoid those distractions as the defending champs it would have been easy for your team to be a little complacent heading into this year's worlds but you lost an early game to the u.s and i was wondering if that served as a bit of a wake-up call for your team yeah i think a wake-up call is actually a, a good word we played pretty well in that game and um kind of just uh, lost our momentum in the late game and unfortunately didn't come up with, or, uh, with a win. And um, yeah, I think losing the first game, it kind of gave us a bit more motivation to play a little better and figure out what we're doing well and not so well to um, make sure we're doing a lot more of the good things and try to fix the the bad and uh, yeah, basically do as much as we can to better ourselves for the future in the week. Scotland was really hot all week and then lost in a tight semi-final to Switzerland. Was there a part of you that was happy to avoid Scotland because they'd been hot all week and because their skip, Ross White, had lost to you in the final last year, so maybe he would have been looking for some redemption? Or was there a sense of trepidation about playing a Swiss team that was playing well enough to defeat a Scottish team that had played that well all week? Yeah, the the Scots are definitely uh, on a pretty big roll, to say the least. They're playing really well, and uh, running up the scoreboard on quite a few teams. So, um, yeah, but I, I think that every team that made the playoffs was deserving of being there, and there wasn't really a uh, team that we did or didn't want to play. They're, they're all there, and we knew we had to play our best no matter who we were playing against. So, uh, yeah, even though the Scots lost, even though they're on a huge roll, I think we, we still knew we had to really give it to the, the, the Swiss if we wanted to come out with a win. In the final, you stole two points in the fifth end to take a 7-1 lead. Now, I know that nothing is won in curling until the last rock is thrown. We saw that last night at the uh, Scotties final. But with such a big lead, were you able to let the moment sink in a little more and enjoy the victory as it was happening? Yeah, even though uh, we had a pretty big lead, uh, we gave up a pretty big one earlier in the week against the USA. So uh, that was always a lingering thought that, uh, you know, even, even though um, we had a pretty decent lead and a good shot, there's always a chance, doesn't matter what the score is in a big final like that. So, uh, yeah, we didn't want to really lose focus at all and not ease off the pedal like we did in the U.S. game. So, uh, yeah, we were just still still going at it as much as we could. For you and Sterling Middleton, this was a second world title, but it was the first for Matt Hall and Alex Horvat. How excited were you to get those two guys their first world junior titles? Yeah, it was awesome. Him and Alex, uh, they were uh, hard workers all year, and I... I genuinely think they really deserve to be in that spot and yeah it was, it was really good to see we've we've got to know them quite a lot this season and to to see their face and know that 
all that they worked for is uh, let them achieve their biggest junior curling dream. It, it was uh, pretty nice to see. And finally, Tyler, uh, I'm not sure everyone realized that uh, you could technically still play one more year of juniors until it was mentioned on TSN's uh, Scotty's coverage. So I'm guessing there are a bunch of junior curlers around the country wondering whether or not you've decided that you're going to come back and play your last uh, junior season. Uh, we've we've uh, kind of just got home. We're just going to try to celebrate the next few days, and then we're probably going to be making a decision shortly after that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's all up in the air right now. We... We have a lot of ideas for what maybe we do and don't want to do. And, uh, yeah, I think pretty soon we'll have a good idea of what we're doing. The 2019 World Universiade is taking place in Krasnoyarsk, Russia, and Canada will be represented in curling by two teams from the University of Alberta. The men's team will be skipped by Carson Sturme, and the women's team will be skipped by former Canadian junior champ and world junior bronze medalist Kristen Streifel, who joined from the hack to discuss the upcoming event in Krasnoyarsk. Uh, Chris, and the four members of your team that will represent Canada at the World Universiade in Russia played on different World Curling Tour teams this season. I'm just wondering if uh, your team has gotten to play any together or practiced a lot or, or what's, uh, what have you been able to do as a group to help yourselves prepare to play together at the World Universiade? So this season we knew that we would all be kind of playing on a, few, a couple different teams. Um, two of the girls played with Kelsey Rock and then of course Lena Sturme was skipping with with Paige Pasley on her team as well, and, and they're still competing in juniors, and then I had my ladies team out of Saskatchewan, so uh, yeah, we were a little bit all over the place, but we knew that would be the scenario. I did not play university this year. Last year was my last year competing, and just wanted to focus on getting into ladies and knowing that we would be uh, competing in Russia at the, at the nationals, um, and so... Yeah, it's been a, it was a bit of a challenge, um, just knowing that we probably would be playing together early on, but we've all had a lot of games under our belts, and I think that we've all been in some pretty um, high-pressure games this season. We've all had a lot of success with our team, so we came together after Christmas, and we've been uh, practicing and, and starting to play together a bit, leading up to Russia, and I, I have no doubt that it will all come together when we're ready to step on the ice in Krasnoyarsk. As we speak, your second Selena Sturme is skipping Team Canada at the World Juniors. I know you want her to be successful, but is there a part of you that is concerned that Selena might arrive in Russia a little fatigued after a pressure-filled week at the World Juniors in Liverpool, Nova Scotia? Not at all, Frank. I think, if anything, this will help her to play better and she'll get some good practice on arena ice, get uh, some really great competition that will be in Russia. And these girls... We're all used to playing so much throughout the week anyways, especially with the U of A programs. The girls are on the ice um, a couple hours almost every single day, so it's really no different than practicing and being at home. And this will just this is just such a wonderful opportunity for her, and I was so excited when they won. And if anything, I think this will just uh, really help us play better. And finally, Chris, in your third, Danielle Schmiemann has experience at the World University at having won gold at the 2017 event in Kazakhstan while playing with Kelsey Rock. Have you leaned on her a little bit uh, in the days and weeks leading up to this, uh, this upcoming event in Russia to help you prepare as a team, just so you know what to expect uh, once you get there? Because it's a little bit different than the World Championship in that it's uh, similar to, uh, to the Olympics, where there's a bunch of athletes from different uh, countries and different sports all together in the same location at the same time. Yeah, we had a meeting last week, and we were discussing university games, and it's kind of funny 
because I've been telling people, yeah, I, I hear that it's like a mini Olympics. And then a few people have stopped me and said, no, wait, Kristen, this is definitely like the Olympics. And the Europeans take it so seriously, especially, and, and they put a lot of funding into these games. And everybody says that it, it is almost the same experience as the Olympics, staying in, in the athlete's village and having the opening ceremonies and having so many sports. Uh, playing at the same time, and being a part of the larger Team Canada with so many different athletes. Um, so, yeah, we are, we are seriously, truly, truly excited for this opportunity. And uh, Danielle, yeah, she said that, you know, we've all competed at the World Juniors for curling, but she said this is kind of, in a way, it's, it is the same level of competition, but the atmosphere of this type of competition is next level. And so she has been able to share a lot of her experiences from when the girls went to Kazakhstan, and, and I think that that will help us prepare for these games and just wrapping our minds around the magnitude of this event. Before we move on to our final two guests of the week, I wanted to remind you that from the Hack is part of the Curling Podcast Network, along with the Two Girls in the Game podcast and the Curling Legends podcast. If you haven't subscribed to those two podcasts yet, you should really check them out. About 10 days ago, the U.S. Nationals came to an end with two familiar champions. The women's event came down to yet another battle between Nina Roth and Jamie Sinclair, with Sinclair winning by a score of 6-4 to four for her third straight U.S. National title. Jamie Sinclair joined us to discuss her team's victory and her upcoming trip to Denmark for the World Championships. Jamie, after everything your team has been through this season, how thankful are you that you were able to win your third consecutive U.S. Nationals? Going into this year, this is what we wanted. It was the ultimate goal, right? First of all, to make it to the final and then obviously to, to come out on top and, and to go back to a world championship. I think that just in general, I'm super proud of the team for it was definitely um, an interesting year um, as far as just lineups and two new players and Alex's um, big pregnancy news and everything. So it was just there was a lot of changes. They were all great changes, but there were a lot of changes on the team. So it uh, it was interesting, but just super proud of the team for, um, you know, sticking together and uh, peaking at the right time. Everything that we did all year was uh, in order to perform our best at the national championship. So just super proud that we all uh, came together in time for that. As mentioned, uh, Jamie, this was her third straight win at U.S. Nationals, but a first win for the Anderson uh, twins, Sarah and Taylor. How much fun was it to see them experience their first win at a U.S. Women's National, especially after what has been a difficult season with both of them taking on roles that they weren't necessarily expecting to fill when they first joined the team over the summer? Yeah, I'm I'm just, I'm so happy for them, and I'm so proud of them. Um, I just... They're just such great teammates. They're they're great uh, players, great individuals. Um, just really, really thrilled to to have them on the team. I think that, like you said, this means a lot for them uh, because they you know they've been competing at the national level for for so long now. So to get that national title um, is a is a really big achievement. And I think that uh, this year in general has been a pretty big learning curve. For them, just playing on um, a little bit higher of a stage than than what they were used to before. You know, the slams are giving them such great uh, exposure and experience. You know, the pressure of those kinds of crowds and um, Continental Cup playing with and against people that they've grown up watching on TV. So I think just all of this has given them uh, a ton of experience and um, really good uh, situations to learn from. So 
I think that it's really great for the team moving forward uh, to, to have this kind of foundation. And uh, I'm just I'm thrilled to, to, to be teammates with them. They, they help me become a, a better player out on the ice, and, and it's a lot of fun, to be honest. Jamie, you met uh, Nina Roth and her team in the final uh, this year. Uh, you and Nina have played against each other 14 times since the start of last season. Is there anything either of you can do to surprise the other anymore from a strategy perspective, or has it simply come down now to a case of which team executes better on any given day? I think it's a bit of both. Uh, we definitely, since we have played them so often, we definitely know uh, what their comfort is as far as like strategy and uh, and specific shots and all that. We just know them really well because we play them so often. So I think, um, yeah, I think a lot of it is just going out there and whoever is, is shooting the best is probably going to win. I think sometimes it's, nice to uh to mix up the strategy not to not to be too uh predictable out there i mean that's that's always hard to to kind of do in a curling game but um yeah i think just uh mixing it up every every now and again um keep people on their toes is never a bad idea now you and your team are headed to the world championship this will be your second world championship having played in north bay last year what did you learn in north bay at the world championships of last year that will serve you well in denmark this year I think just the overall experience of being in a world championship, just little things like the logistics of it, um, making it through the whole, like it's a grind of a schedule. So mentally being, mentally and physically being prepared for that, that really long uh, week. Um, it's nice to, to have the experience from last year to, to help me through this year. Um, I think uh, a little bit of knowledge on um, other countries and, and the teams that other countries are sending is, um, is it's different than, than playing teams just on the World Curling Tour, I think. Everything's a little bit elevated at the, the World Championship. So, yeah, just definitely feeling a little bit more prepared going in going into it this year. Further to my last question, uh, Jamie, you and Monica Walker both experienced the Worlds in North Bay last year, and it will be a first one for the Anderson Twins, even though I believe they've been to a World Juniors. What kind of conversations have you had with Taylor and Sarah to help them prepare for the trip and the competition in Denmark? Yeah, I think that, uh, I think they're they're in a pretty good situation because, like you said, they have been to uh, Junior Worlds and stuff um, and Youth Olympics, so they, they have a little taste for that. And obviously the slams this year has helped with uh, the crowds and the media and, and the big stage and, and whatnot. So I think they, they have a, a pretty good expectation. And then also Monica and I just kind of sharing our experience from last year is, is going to help them um, just feel a little bit more uh, prepared and, and calm, confident going into this event. But uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not worried about them at all. I think uh, they're just the type of people to, to embrace the opportunity and, and, and they can roll with, with any punches, <laughs> go easily in any situation. So um, I think that I, I think we're going to do what we can to prepare, but uh, full confidence that they'll be performing at their best in, in no time. And finally, Jamie, I want to take you back to last year's Worlds in North Bay. Tell me about playing that bronze medal game versus Russia in front of a packed house, most of whom were cheering for you because by then word had gotten around that the U.S. skip had a dual citizenship. How was it to play in such an important game in that kind of atmosphere? Yeah, honestly, playing playing in that bronze medal game, it was one of those games where um, just I was on the edge of my seat the whole time and... I, I never, even once the game was done, like, I didn't really want, I didn't want to leave the ice surface. Like, I didn't want that situation, that moment to 
to be done. So um, I think that it it was it was really fun to be wrapped up in in the game, the intensity of the game, um, but just the overall atmosphere, the overall situation. Um, I was really just trying to soak in every minute that I could. I didn't want to leave the ice surface. So I'm really excited to go back to to the worlds and to have that feeling again. Um, I've I've only been there once, but uh, honestly, that feeling is is uh, comes around once in a blue moon. It's it's pretty special. Meanwhile, in the men's event, it was Team Schuster defeating the defending champions Team Runin by a score of eight to four and earning third Chris Plies his first U.S. Men's National Championship. John Schuster joined from the hack to discuss his team's win at the Nationals and to look ahead to the men's worlds in Lethbridge, Alberta. John, you and your team had so many off-ice obligations this season, but you still managed to win the two events that you had likely circled on your calendar, the World Cup event in Omaha in December and the U.S. Nationals. How good did it feel to win Nationals and get a chance to head back to Worlds? Uh, you know, it, the National Championships is something that, you know, I think has been maybe our most coveted uh, tournament since starting curling. So, um, you know, getting a chance to go and, and play in them again, after taking last year off with our little gold medal tour that we did, uh, you know, it was definitely something we wanted to go back and, and get another taste of. But uh, for me, it's, it's the things that I have left on my to-do list in curling are to win a world championship and win a grand slam. And the only way you can win a world championship is, you know, by winning a national championship and getting to the world championship. So... <laughs> Strange question here, John, but uh, your team lost one game at Nationals uh, late in the round robin. Are you one of those people that believes uh, it's good to lose a game uh, in the round robin so that you get that clunker out of the way and that it helps clear the path a little bit, uh, knowing that you have to be on your toes because losing is possible once you get into the playoffs? I'm actually not one of the people that thinks uh, that, that a loss is necessarily a good thing. And, you know, I would say that I wouldn't have experience, but uh, in Everett, in 2017, we actually went through the national championships undefeated. And, you know, when we got to the playoffs, you know, people were kind of making a deal of it, but we just thought, you know, we kind of had our momentum going and we and we got the win. And, um, you know, for me, we actually didn't even play a clunker of a game. Yeah, we, got, we lost, but, you know, we gave up a three on a end where we had a rock pick and I didn't make a shot to bail us out after that. And, yeah, so for us mainly, you know, when we're playing a tournament like that, we're just trying to make sure that we have the ice and we have our, you know, the way we manage it down by the end of the round robin, and we really um, we really did that well. You, Matt Hamilton, and John Landsteiner had won the men's U.S. Nationals before, but this was a first for Chris Plies. How badly did you want to help him earn his first U.S. men's title? Uh, you know, it meant a ton to, to all of us, but, you know, especially to Matt, because, you know, Matt and Chris have been great, great friends since, um, you know, joining forces and juniors. And, uh, and that was something that Matt really always had wanted to, you know, get a chance to play with Chris and to win a men's national championship and go maybe go win a men's world championship with Chris uh, for, their, for their time together. But, you know, Chris and I have been close. We won a World University Games together back in 2007. And, you know, we took him with us to the Olympics in 2010 because we knew what kind of a player he was. But, you know, I, I let Chris know, you know, halfway through the final. He's like, man, you, you have my back today. I said, well, Today I'm playing for you, buddy, because, you know, he's too darn good of a player to not have something like that on his resume because he's just, um, he's one of those special players, and uh, and he's really been this year, you know, he had a really tough spot to come into, uh, you know, when you have a team that had as much success as we had had in the last four years and winning the Olympic gold, obviously. And, I mean, everything he did, every step along the way has been, 
so professional and, um, you know, thoughtful, and he's just been such a great teammate. So to be able to help him get that monkey off his back was a special feeling for, for all three of us. This will be your eighth World Championships, and so far you've won one silver medal at that event. What will it take for your team to find its way to the top of the podium in Lethbridge in early April? You know, for us to, to go and get a World Championship, we just are going to have to keep uh, progressing with, with what we've been doing all season. I think actually looking at our stats and, and whatnot uh, throughout our season, I think we played 68 game, games, and this is actually the first time that I've went into a World Championship with a winning percentage over uh, 700. So, you know, I think we're feeling very confident with, you know, with, with where we're at and, and the way we're playing. So, you know, for us, we want to just get to the World Championships and and play, you know, close to our A game. And, and close to our A game this year has won us a ton of games and given us chances uh, to win events like the World Cup we won back in December. So um, getting to the Worlds and, and coming out and, and, and playing our A game, I think, will get us to the playoffs and we'll see if it can't carry us to the you know, top of a world podium again. You're now a veteran of the sport in the U.S. There were several younger teams at this year's Nationals. How excited are you about the young crop of curlers developing in the U.S. right now? <laughs> yeah, our, our Nationals this year, wasn't, I'm not used to being one of the old guys. So to uh, <laughs> be the, the third oldest team, third oldest skip in the field, uh, to me was, you know, I'm, I'm trying to see it differently. But, no, it, it it's great to see what we have coming up in the U.S. and to see, you know, so many young people really taking the game uh, seriously because, you know, we had had a similar group of people playing in the Nationals for the last, you know, decade in the U.S. And now to see that, you know, changing of the guard as it may be uh, happening, you know, for me, I, I want to be somebody who's going to help support, you know, those players, you know, maybe chase after their, their goals and dreams, but, you know, also to, to get them there and, yeah, as soon as I'm done, I'm going to be sharing everything I got to try to help them get there. Uh, but even right now, uh, you know, it's important for me. You know, we played a young Strauss team that had finished third at the juniors uh, prior to, you know, the very first game of the round robin. And, you know, halfway through the game, I just I, I saw some things that, you know, that I wanted to make sure that he knew uh, moving forward, you know, when you're out here playing on great ice against great teams and, um, and I tried to give them a few things, and they came out and had a ton of great games, and I think even got a couple wins out of the deal. So, um, you know, it's, for me, just as important to help those guys along as it is, you know, to have continued success personally. And finally, John, a lot has been made about Jared Allen and the other former NFLers that have taken up curling with the ultimate dream of eventually representing the U.S. at the Olympics. What kind of impact do you believe they could have in helping grow the sport in the U.S.? Yeah, having having Jared Allen and Mark Bolger and you know Mike Roos, Keith Bullock around is is great for our sport. And you know we really saw that when we played against them the very first game of the Curl Masaba Cash deal. All of a sudden, you know somebody caught wind that they're playing the Olympic team in their first game at a you know professional event on our World Curling Tour, and it turned into a national story that was covered by you know everybody from ESPN to USA Today. Um, you know all the national media outlets. And every time you can get curling into those national media outlets being, you know, a real story, just plants that seed back in people's brains that curling is, you know, this sport that's available in our country. And I think, um, you know, whatever it takes to, to get that national media attention uh, is great for our sport. And honestly, couldn't come from better guys. We've gotten to know, you know, at least I've gotten to know Jared and Michael Roos 
and Mark Bolger at the events that we played. And, and these guys are guys that are serious about trying to get good at our sport. And, uh, and they're definitely not taking anything other than, you know, a serious approach that they've taken their entire careers uh, at their previous sport. So it's, it's been a lot of fun to, to see those guys going, and I think you'll see us, you know, even helping them out along the way because, um, you know, obviously there's some talent, but there's a, t- a very, very large gap as far as, you know, knowledge of the game and, and experience that, you know, it's, it would be tough for them to fill this com- upcoming Olympics, but um, it would be fun to see how far those guys can take it. And that does it for the From the Hack podcast for February 26, 2019. A big thank you to all of our guests and a big thank you to all of you for listening in. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.